Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. James Ellis III is a pastor. He is a writer and a web interview host. His previous book is Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil, Stories About the Challenges of Young Pastors. His new book is An Inward, Outward Witness, Suffering's Role in Forming Faithful Preachers. Welcome, Pastor Ellis. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, you begin with uh, a strong assertion, God's thoughts are not ours, nor are God's ways ours. Do you think this is one of the stumbling blocks for 21st century individuals in America in really coming to and living out the faith? I do. I do. I mean, you you have to start with all of humanity, uh, just in that we all struggle with the the notion that God uh, doesn't think or behave or process um, things in the way that uh, creation does. You know, we are the created God is the creator. And so, um, you know, he has carte blanche, if you will, to erect the world and values and uh, all these things the way that he sees fit. That's that's kind of what it means to be God, um, that you're not subject to your subject, so to speak. But you you set the tone, you set the precedent. Um, so I think, you know, throughout human history, you see, you know, we've struggled with that. But I think particularly nowadays, you know, just the ways that society is very different, um, families are very different. Uh, some of the challenges that we have today, um, while they're not necessarily new, um, definitely play out very differently than they have, you know, in, in decades past. So, yeah, you know, a lot of people nowadays, um, younger folks and folks that are my age, I'm in my early 40s, um, definitely struggle with, uh, you know, trying to figure figure those things out, trying to navigate life with this idea that God is in charge um, and he's not a divine playwright in the sky who um, I'm just like sort of a, a little minion down here. Um, I have agency. I have free will. That's what I believe. Um, but I but I also have um, sort of an, an ethical uh, paradigm that I have to follow if I'm going to follow him. And the person that I follow is, is Jesus in that paradigm. And we must understand that suffering is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, a life free of suffering, if you expect that, then then it, it certainly hinders you from absorbing suffering. And, and it, it, it sort of really puts your ways at, at the center mm -hmm. of things. 
It does. Right. It does. You know, but before you get to suffering, you kind of have to talk about discomfort. You know, um, there there are a lot, a lot of us struggle with just pure discomfort. Like uh, the AC is up too high. Um, you know, McDonald's didn't open on time. Uh, somebody's taking too long in line at Starbucks or at the post office. You know, I think because of our, our creature comforts, particularly living in the West, you know, we expect everything on time right when I want it. Um, you know, life is supposed to be a, a Walmart, even in, in spiritual terms. Um, so that's just about discomfort. But when you start talking about hardship, which is like discomfort, you know, on 10, so to speak, um, that's a whole nother story. And I think that's that's really what I tried to get at in the book that, um, you know, as you said, life, life is hard. Um, suffering is inevitable, whether you are, are living a life that surrenders to Jesus or not, it, it affects everybody. Um, and just because you you do surrender to Jesus, um, it doesn't mean you get a pass. It doesn't mean on this side of heaven, life is going to be awesome and you're not going to struggle. Like you can just pull out your Christian card and life will say, oh, let's let's pass. Let's pass by their doorstep because they're 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 following Jesus. Right. You, you, you say that suffering is especially important for pastors. Hmm. Uh, is what you just said one reason why that is so? Yeah, I think, you know, you you can't really relate well to people who are going to suffer and are, you know, suffering in this present time if you yourself as a pastor um, decide to do everything in your power to never suffer. You know, um, I, I try to make it clear in the book that I'm not speaking to um, sort of, you know, lifting up suffering as the, the, the end all be all. And so we should go around hunting for suffering. That's, that's not my point at all. Like suffering will find you. It can, it has your GPS. It will, it will not uh, struggle to locate you at whatever time it decides. So, so trying to chase after it is not the point, but, but the point is also not to try to do everything in your life to avoid it. Um, you know, there's some, some things, of course, you know, that you don't want to bring upon suffering, you know, in your life in ways that you can reasonably avoid. Um, but, but there are other circumstances in life that it's just going to come and your job as a Christian, and particularly as a pastor, is to process it in a way that's healthy, that's biblical, and do that in community, ideally. Um, and then as a pastor, you can, you can be able to harness those experiences to, to understand in a visceral, real way some of what your congregants are going to go through. You're not going to get everything, but you, you, you can say, hey, I've had my weary days as well, and, um, and not, not gloss over it not push it under the rug. I, I, I don't believe in all this toxic pos positivity that I think we have going around today in, in Christian circles, but you can, you can deal with it, face it again in community and then help people forge a way forward with, with God's help. That, that's a good term. Toxic positivity. Mm. <laughs> well, well, what, have, what have you seen of that in your experience? Oh my goodness. Uh, we, we don't have enough time to, <laughs> to get into all of it. I think, you know, the toxic positivity is something that um, sometimes it's subtle, but sometimes not so much. It's just, it's like, um, I don't know if people remember the show Barney um, that came out, you know, it's like, I love you, you love me, you know, this big uh, uh, purple dinosaur. And, yeah. and it's that kind of mentality as it relates to faith and life, you know, so it's like, you can't have an honest conversation about anything, not to say that we're always going to agree about everything. Cause of course that's not possible. We're human beings who have different experiences and stories and hurts, habits, and hangups. But when you can't even have an honest conversation um, about a particular topic, um, that's where I think the positivity comes up. It's like, well, you know, it's, that's fine. No, that doesn't happen. No, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's that very dismissive. And um, it's like life is, is a Disney world. And it's like, nah, that's, that's not really that you don't see that in the Bible. 
And you definitely don't see that as most people's lived experience. What does the culture tell people, especially young people, about the experience of suffering, the meaning of suffering? I think I think culture, you know, sends a lot of different messages. Uh, one message would be, you know, if you think about uh, the acronym YOLO, Y-O-L-O, um, you only live once. Um, you know, that's that's sort of a, a way of being that. To, to be honest, it's not just young people, but but many people yeah. nowadays embrace. You know that hey, you only live once, and so I'm I'm trying to do everything possible to never suffer. Um, much less be be inconvenienced, you know. So um, I'm going to quietly quit at my job. Um, I'm going to uh, live a very um, loose life in terms of how you know I navigate relationships. People really don't mean their mean that much to me. They're just really um, you know something to to engage in at a particular time and then move on, um, you know, so on and so forth. And so I think you know part of that message is is very destructive, especially for a generation. You know, if you think about young people. Um, like I said, I'm, I'm in my early 40s. You know, this generation has been weaned on on iPods and or uh, iPads and iPhones and i everything, and they've had a, a a computer device in their hands since they were like you know toddlers. And so, uh, much of those messages that you see online are curated um, sort of images and 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 themes about you know never suffering, never having hardship. You just have fun. Everything's going to work out great and and that sort of thing. And that's again, that's not you don't see that in the Bible at all. But it's also not people's lived experience because we're we're fragile, finite, you know, human beings. How, how do people uh, take in the message, Jesus's message that uh, you will be persecuted, you will suffer for for your faith? Yeah. Do they yeah. hear that? <laughs> a lot. Uh, are they told that a lot? I, I I will say this. I I know they're they're told it by me. Um, you know when <laughs> when I'm preaching and when I'm even counseling people, um, those are those are things that come up because that's the the full complement in the whole counsel, if you will, of the gospel. Um, you have to take the Old Testament and the New Testament, and and they 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 all together represent um, God's word, and so you can't sort of just pick and choose what what feels great in a moment versus what doesn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think to the extent that people are hearing it, d- do we like it? Uh, <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. I think that's that's part of the the challenge with again just this this epoch that we live in, um, where people are told so many uh, mixed messages. You know, there's there's not the maybe positive peer pressure that you had 40, 50 years ago, where, you know, you had a community of people who would encourage you towards, you know, a particular end that was about community and that was about sacrificing for the greater good and these kinds of things. If anything, the larger narrative nowadays is you want to skip over, you want to get to where you need to go as fast as possible, um, burn whatever you need to in the process to get there, but get there. And when you get there, you do everything you can to sustain that and, and build your, your mini empire, so to speak. And so the idea of, of suffering and things not working out, you know, the way that you planned is, uh, is really lost on a, on a lot of people. You know, uh, Pastor Alice, it's not going to work out. These, <laughs> these expectations are going to turn young people into very bitter 30 year olds, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would, I would say, yeah, you'll have a lot of bitter, you know, 30 somethings, 40 somethings. Um, and to, to be fair to their generation, you know, 
many of them have come from households where their parents um, didn't engage well with these issues. And so they seen their mom and dad um, really, you know, kind of live their little suburban life in their suburban enclave and, you know, have 2.5 kids, um, you know, have a little white picket fence, uh, live in, in the suburbs with their Escalade parked in the two-car garage, you know, and and they just kind of played everything safe as Christians, you know, and, and I'm not at all uh, saying there's anything wrong with, you know, having 2.5 kids and being facetious and having your white picket fence and, and having your, your house in the suburbs, like praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus, like that's that's fine. Um, but I think what it, what it has done in part um, that people get to those places because they just wanted to, you know, essentially have their good government job and get out and and just kind of live their own little life in, the, in this curated bubble. Um, now they've produced kids. And so those kids are producing kids and they're like, to, like you said, they're going to be 30, 40 year olds. And they're just carrying on that same sort of mantra, um, a little sprinkle of Jesus here. Um, but a lot of their foundation is really rooted in me. And I want to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And, you know, if Jesus wants to cooperate that on it, with that on any given day, then like, oh, OK, maybe I'll consider myself a Christian. But when life um, smacks me in the face and when the word of God smacks me in the face again, you know, it's kind of like, hey, two strikes, you're out. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not dealing with any of that. And, uh, and you see the decline with, you know, churches and just religious thought in general. Uh, a question. Does. See, see I, I assume that the toxic positivity message, that that may bring people to church now and then, but it's not going to yield a very deep commitment to, to worship. Hmm. And also, I, I would say that the, the suffering message, the persecution message, I mean, not all the time, but just that being part of mm-hmm. the, the worship, that's not going to turn people away. Uh, you know, the toxic positivists, if I can call them that, yeah. <laughs> they, they might assume, oh, no, we can't be too negative in church. People don't want to hear that. I don't think that that's necessarily true. What, what, what have you, what do you think? What have you seen? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, um, you know, our job, at least, you know, if, for me as a pastor, my job is not to make everybody happy. I mean, I, I know I might have some colleagues out there who might say, well, you know, they disagree and hey, that's that's all good. But um, my job is to feed God's sheep. That's what he says. Feed my sheep. Um, and and if you're feeding someone, um, I don't I don't want to like, you know, you think about if you have kids, I, I don't have kids, but you think about kids like you, you might take them to fast food every so often. Um, that's just a necessity of, you know, run into soccer practice or you're, you know, they're, they're late for an appointment or, or what have you. But if you're, if your steady diet is fast food and candy, well, you know, you're, you're, one might argue that you're being a bit irresponsible as a parent and not setting a great example for them to have a, a, a foundation of nutrition <laughs> and, and, and dietary needs in their life that's going to serve them well, you know, as they grow up. And, and yeah. I think the same thing as a pastor, you know, um, it's great to have fun. And, and anybody who is familiar with my preaching knows that I, I enjoy having fun and I'm, I'm cognizant of culture and all these things and people and music and, and all that. Um, but, but I want to feed people um, slow cooked food. Um, I, I want to f- feed people food that it may take time for you to digest. It may take time for you to even just sit down and have the meal. It's not going to be the fast food kind of version. It's not. It's not always, um, you know, the, the greatest experience. Like you're in and you're out. But but that's that's the what the word of God represents. It's that slow cooked 
uh, food from your grandma, the, the the fried fish and grits. It's 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 that kind of food, which I understand the analogy is breaking down because it might not be that healthy. But I'm just saying um, the slow cooked approach for me, you know, you think about people like Eugene Peterson and others, um, I think, have have sort of talked about that in their own ways. Um, that's what really being a pastor is about. It's being there for the high highs. It's being there for the low lows, and it's also being there for, which is most of the of what your life is, the mundane in-between stuff. You know, uh, I have, I've had students through the years and just young adults who are, you know, launching out into life and trying to figure out how to do this thing. And, and they'll say, you know, uh, Pastor Ellis, like, w- what do you and your wife do? Like, what's marriage like, you know? And I'm like, you pay bills. You know, um, we, we, we happen to enjoy going on walks together. So we do that pretty often. Um, but you pay bills, you go to work, um, you bicker, you know, and it doesn't mean you don't love each other, but that's just life. Like you're sharing life in a household and bedrooms and bathrooms and trying to figure out who does this and who does that with another person who's different than you. So you're going to bicker um, and you reconcile. And you do a whole lot of other stuff that comes with marriage. And so I think this generation has a hard time of, of moving from, from theory, if you will, to like practical application. And so I think with the book and then also in my preaching and, and just ministry in general, again, as I've walked alongside people, that's what I strive to do is to, to give you practical, on the ground, real life, uh, meat, um, you know, slow cooked food, if you will, from the word of God that that will help you move forward. It, it might not solve all problems because that's not what scripture is meant to do. You know, it's not this like instruction manual or some, you know, I don't know, almanac that you turn to and say, okay, like I need to figure out what basketball shoes I should buy today from Dick's Sporting Goods or what I should get on Amazon. Let me let me go to the word of God and it's going to point me in the right direction of what shoes I should buy. That's not necessarily how it works, but it but it is um, the, the, the lamp that um, allows us to shine uh, in, in this world and in, in the world to come. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. There's a wonderful line in the Psalms that you quote, quote, it is good for me that I was humbled. Tell me, what are people like who've never been humbled? Have you come across people who've just always... Never undergone that 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 experience that really makes them step back and sit down and yeah. be humble. Yeah, I think about you know Saint John of the Cross. You know this this dark night of the soul. Um, dark nights of the soul will humble you. And um, again, I think the culture nowadays really, really tries to refute that. It tries to say like, no, you don't have to have a dark night of the soul. If you, if you play your cards right, um, if you, if you gamble correctly, you can avoid it altogether. And I don't think that's working out too well for, for most people. You know, you think about, um, just the way our society is so different with, um, social media addiction and, um, all other kinds of things that are just kind of fallen to the wayside. I think, um, in terms of how we, how we process information, even, you know, like 
truth itself is is kind of going out the door. There's this whole idea of not just postmodernism, but now post-truth that we live in an era where um, truth itself is not really like it's not really a thing, you know, <laughs> which uh, which makes it hard to have, you know, any semblance of like a logical argument with with people uh, as, as civilly as you can. Um, so, I mean, to your question, I think people who have not been humbled are scary because if you've not been humbled, that means you think that you're the master of your own universe. Again, people of my generation growing up in the eighties would remember He-Man, you know, mm. and He-Man would have his sword and, you know, he was like, the castle's a gray skull. And he was like, I am, you know, like it was, it was a big thing, but that's, that's a cartoon. And I think unfortunately people who haven't been humbled um, are really trying to live out this He-Man existence and they'll sacrifice anything on the altar of their pride. Uh, they'll sacrifice their family. They'll sacrifice their health. Um, they'll sacrifice you um, if if you get in the way of of them not having to to suffer anything. Hmm. You take a line from a Christian rapper hmm. uh, that accuses many Americans of making quote an idol of survival, and you you, you actually say uh, many Christians do this too. What is going on there? An idol of survival. Yeah. Yeah, it's this Christian rapper. His um, his name is Ishan Burgundy, and he's from Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know all of his you know sort of theological points, but um, he's been sort of a bomb for me in my life just through the years as I've been you know through different seasons and listened to him in my car. And yeah, he does have this this line where he talks about um, you know making an, an idol of survival. And I'd listened to that in my car for like a probably a number of years, and and then the more I heard it, I started thinking like. He, he's not lying. Like he, he is not lying that so much of the American sojourn is about um, survival. And it's not that survival is bad. Of course, we, we, we should all have, you know, this internal motor and desire to survive. I mean, that's, that's a, a God given part of the Imago Dei. So uh, I have no qualms with that. But when you make an idol of anything, you turn something that is relatively good and and it becomes your master. And I think that's that's what really has happened with um, even if you think about the, the American church, you know, um, we, we've fought so hard to survive that we've we've lost in some ways the ability to, to thrive at all. You know, we've we've lost the ability to have um respect in a, in, a, in a biblical sense, not in terms of like trying to meet all of the world's demands, but we've lost our integrity, I guess I would say, um, with, you know, scandal after scandal after scandal. And I don't care what denomination you come from or what tradition, uh, it, it affects everybody. Like everybody's got blemishes on their record, so to speak. Um, you know, and so our, our desire to be relevant, re um, or relevant rather, our desire to be uh, relevant and our, our efforts to um, have this big box Walmart sort of experience spiritually and compete in the in the world sphere, I think has uh, has really taken us us off kilter, off course, and um, and it's and it's unfortunate, you know, because you know God God is the one who said, you know, the gates of hell will not overcome, you know, my, my church, um, and that's that's the big C. That doesn't mean individual churches won't fail and close and shutter their doors and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I think sometimes we 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 lose sight of that, that God is the one who does the heavy lifting. He's the one who is in charge and not in charge just in this end of the world, like, you know, revelation apocalypse type type way. But no, he's in charge today. 
he he was in charge yesterday. He's going to be in charge tomorrow. And he's the one who holds all of this together. You know, he is the gorilla glue, uh, the Holy Spirit that, that, that keeps Christians coming back to the table together to meet and to pray and to and to wrestle, you know, with his word together and to try to serve um, the world um, as as a, as witnesses that can testify to to his goodness. So, yeah, I think, you know, again, survival in and of itself, nothing wrong with that. But when you make survival your your sole aim, um, again, back to the the pride um, or the lack of you know humility or, or humbling, you'll you'll do anything to survive. You'll you'll spit in the face of God to survive when you when you make it an idol. And I think that's that's where many of us have gone wrong. Hmm. Now now to your story, which you describe somewhat in the book. Uh, you say a preacher named James. How did you come to be a pastor? Oh, you weren't raised for it, were you? Not, not at all. Not at all. Um, love my parents to death. Um, they, they raised me. I think you know the the best ways that that they knew how, and and based on sort of what their convictions were. Um, which you know you have to respect. Everybody's trying to do, you know, what they can. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't raised in a in a Christian home, and and so for me, you know, growing up was largely about performance. You know, it was just, I, I came from a military family. Um, my dad was, I think did about 26 years in the air force. And so, you know, all of my life growing up, I mean, I was born in, in Okinawa, Japan because of my dad's military service. And so my whole life, um, once we landed in Maryland, um, was on a, a large military installation. Um, I was a kid who had to learn military time, <laughs> you know, because of my, my dad, um, and, and came from a very disciplined household and all of which were, were good things. I'm not saying all of that's bad, but on the, on the religion or spirituality side of things, that just wasn't, wasn't a part of our life. Um, so I, I went to the university of Maryland and, um, I was very, very, very briefly um, a walk-on inside linebacker there playing football and um, eventually got kicked out of school. I was academically dismissed, uh, which just is a fancy way of saying you've been kicked out of school. Um, I wasn't going to class and was going to the club. And so that's kind of what happened. So that happened in my sophomore year. Um, by my junior year, I'd, I'd been readmitted um, back into the university. They graciously took me back after I spent a semester at community college. Um, and I went to church for the first time as a 20 year old and it was Maple Springs Baptist church in Capitol Heights, Maryland and traditional black Baptist congregation. Uh, again, my, my first time really in church, you know, at 20 years old and I, uh, I heard the gospel and I, I cannot credit anybody, but God himself who plucked me from the muck and mire of my own sin. And the scales fell away during this pastor sermon. And I said, I, I need Jesus. And, you know, and kind of Baptist, uh, you know, polity, the way you, you express that as you come forward, you know, at the end of the service and uh, kind of profess, you know, your faith to the congregation, which I did, uh, and was scary, you know, it was a scary experience because I, again, I just had no experience in church whatsoever. So that was at the age of 20 and um, had no desire to become a pastor. I mean, I, I didn't really know what the dudes did, you know what I'm saying? So it wasn't something that was really on the plate for me. Um, but I'd been a website designer after I graduated from uh, the university and um, taught pre-kindergarten for a little bit. Whole long story, I could tell you later. Um, love teaching the little kids, but they have a lot of germs. And uh, they <laughs> they just, they like ran me out of the building because <laughs> I'm like, I'm dying. These little kids, I love them, but they're going to kill me with all their germs. So um, anyways, it was through that season 
of of uh, working, you know, as a pre-kindergarten teacher that I started asking God what I should have asked him, you know, a, a bit a bit earlier, <laughs> which was, hey, what what do you want me to do with this this life that you've given me that, you know, I've been bought at a price. Uh, you didn't have to, but you did. And so what do you want me to do with this life vocationally? And I didn't hear, you know, a Charlton Heston, you know, voice like uh, kind of thing um, from on high. But but I did feel this overwhelming sense that uh, God was calling me to vocational ministry. And again, again I didn't have a background in it. I, I didn't have a, a clue really as to what exactly that looked like. You know, I didn't know what was on the other side of the of the fence. Um, but but I, I accepted that that was what God was saying and um, met my wife around that time. And we got engaged and uh, eventually got married, moved to Texas. And I started seminary on my first master's degree. And that's that's kind of how, how it is. And 15 years later, uh, I'm, I'm still in it, you know, so. Okay, very good. What is the lesson of the story of Hosea? Hmm. Yeah, Hosea. Um, I think Hosea is one of these stories that is is really beautiful, you know, on many fronts, but it gets overlooked, you know, and and I'm I'm of the opinion that much of the Old Testament I think we we do a disservice to, you know, um, you know, you'll see congregations that have on their website or something that'll say, like, we're a New Testament, you know, congregation. And I'm like, I, I get it. You know, you're trying to emphasize Jesus and, you know, that he is sort of the author and finisher of our faith. He's the archetype. He's the one that, you know, sort of we're lifting up, you know, um, that we're we're not under um, the law anymore. We're, we're under this, this new covenant. So I understand why people do it, but it always rubbed me uh, the wrong way sometimes because I'm because I'm like, well, Hey, these these sixty six books of the Bible, you know, that's what in in most Protestant traditions we would say, um, you know, represent the Word of God. Um, there's there's the Old Testament part, you know, the the, the First Testament, if you will, um, as well. And so you can't just throw throw all of that away, you know, because uh, Jesus is fully manifested, if you will, um, in the New Testament. But having said that, Hosea, you know, he's this prophet um, who who basically God, you know. Uh, gives him this opportunity to walk alongside and, and marry um, this prostitute. And it's not um, while he's also, you know, sort of fulfilling his, his prophetic, you know, duties. And I just talk about in the book that uh, if that's not suffering, I mean, I don't, I don't know what is, you know, you think about the, the public ridicule, um, you know, she kept, um, you know, sort of stepping out uh, on, on their marriage, you know, time and time and time again. And, and it just wasn't, wasn't a good deal. And he would, he would go and like sort of purchase her or, or grab her from other, you know, people that she had given herself away to and whatnot and, and just hung in there, you know, um, as a, a puny human being who I'm sure had his, his own, uh, you know, faults and issues. And, and so anyways, I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful story of, of suffering in, in the sense that, you know, we don't understand, all of why God allows suffering in particular ways as it relates to our specific story. Like we just don't, um, we know that, you know, as you asked about like, you know, being humbled, we know that it, it does that to us, or at least it has the possibility. Um, we know that it helps to work out our, our character, um, you know, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We know that it contributes to sanctification, you know, this lifelong process, um, we, we know all of that, but in terms of like why exactly God allowed this particular situation um, to occur in my life and that I have to deal with that maybe someone else doesn't, you know, we, we don't know. Maybe those are questions we will ask Jesus when we meet him face to face. But um, Hosea's story uh, just really stuck with me as an example. Even if you think about somebody like Job, 
you know, Job is someone who likewise was just minding his own business. And, you know, out of the blue, he's thrust into this kind of cosmic war, so to speak. And, um, and he tries to respond, you know, as best as he can. So, yeah. Uh, there's much more in the book discussions of other well-known preachers who've had their times of, of trouble and, and torment uh, discussions of your, your, you yourself often feeling an outsider mm. in, in the worlds you've traveled through because of your and one reason being because of your race, others, your, your, your general background. Sure. Uh, but for now, the book is an inward outward witness suffering's role in forming faithful preachers. Pastor Ellis, thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930. Thank you.